Hi, I'm Jake Miller, host of the Educational Duct Tape Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of each individual host. Be sure to check out all of our other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready, because the learning begins in 3, 2, 1... Welcome back for another episode of the Leader of Learning podcast, the show where educators can come find inspiration to transform education through effective leadership. I'm your host, Dan Krinas. Let's get started. What is social-emotional learning? Social-emotional learning, as defined by the Collaborative for Academic Social and Emotional Learning, or CASEL, is... The process through which children and adults acquire and effectively apply the knowledge, attitudes, and skills necessary to understand and manage emotions, set and achieve positive goals, feel and show empathy for others, establish and maintain positive relationships, and make responsible decisions. As we know as educators, social-emotional learning has become extremely important in our field. Students today are faced with more stress anxiety, and pressure than ever before for a wide variety of reasons. That's why the Leader of Learning podcast is tackling this issue head-on, and in episodes 42, 43, and 44 of this show, we will have parts 1, 2, and 3 of a series on social-emotional learning, featuring guests such as Krista Lay, Brian Kulak, and Elizabeth Merce, who will each discuss social-emotional learning from different angles. Here in episode 42 is part one of that series where our guest, Crystal Lay, will discuss social-emotional learning from a student standpoint. All right, guys, another great guest for this episode. I'm excited to talk to Crystal Lay, who is not only a fellow emerging leader, uh, also a former instructional coach and a doctoral candidate. I realize we have a lot in common, but... That's where my introduction is going to stop. So, Krista, if you could please introduce yourself to our listeners, tell us who you are, where you are, and what you do. Thanks, Dan. I'm really thrilled to be on, and thank you for the opportunity. Um, I am just entering my 20th year in education, so I spent 10 years as a high school social studies teacher. Um, While I was there, I was the coordinator of the SAP team, which is the student um, assistance program. So I was helping to support any students who were experiencing barriers to their academic learning, either through mental health or drugs, alcohol, and um, tobacco, other drugs. Um, I then became an instructional technology coach for the district for three years, and that morphed into becoming a curriculum coach for two years. Um, around that time, I had started a student leadership organization uh, that was focusing on social emotional learning. And so that has been a passion of mine for the last 10 to 12 years, I would say, um, as a way of trying to be more reactive, or I'm sorry, more responsive and um, addressing some of the student uh, issues, the social emotional issues that they were having that were those barriers to learning. Um, I presented at an ASCD conference and got involved with ASCD, and it just kind of opened up a number of doors for me. And I have been for the last eight years working as um, a consultant and a professional learning facilitator on social emotional learning. Yeah, I think, again, something that we have in common, it sounds like we have, we've dabbled in several different areas in education and, and you have uh, a background, it sounds like, in instructional technology. I'm pretty good with technology too, but uh, you have, like you said, gotten this passion for social emotional learning and that's where your path has led you and your experiences and that's what I'm really excited to talk to you about and I'm, I'm glad 
that you're able to give us some time here to talk about it. Uh, let's start with the basics, if we could. And, and I don't want to uh, sell my listeners short, but just in case uh, we need that that background, what is social emotional learning? And and in my opinion, it's become so important. So along with that, why and and how has it become such a big part of education today? Great question. Um, and so when I first got introduced to social emotional learning by a mentor of mine, his name is Tom Stecker. Um, he's also an educator and has been in education for 40 years. He talked um, mostly about social emotional learning being about relationships and about needing to establish strong, healthy rapport with your students. And if you've heard the quote that they don't they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And so that was the basis. Um, but I am also a in the weeds type of person and I need to know the details. And so as a classroom teacher, I needed to know what does this look like and sound like and feel like in my classroom. Um, and so I started doing some more research and I started looking at CASEL. It's the Collaborative for Academic, Social, and Emotional Learning. And they're based out of Illinois, and they've been doing a tremendous amount of high quality research around SEL. And they have five um, components of social emotional learning are five competencies. And so their first one is self-awareness. Um, and it's being able to identify your emotions and recognize your strengths and develop confidence and self-efficacy. There's self-management. So what do you do when you feel these emotions coming up inside? And how do you um, how do you develop the discipline to be able to control those so that there's a productive outcome? And how do you manage those and set goals and work towards the goals? Um, so there, the first part has to do with a relationship with yourself and a deep understanding of who you are and what motivates you and how you move forward. And then the second part is your relationships with other people. So the third competency is on social awareness. And it's it's about empathy and perspective taking and appreciating diversity and respecting other people. And then the next part of that is relationship skills. So how do you build and maintain rapport with other people? Uh, how do you communicate? How do you engage with them? How do you collaborate? And then the last one is responsible decision-making. And I actually see that as a part of all four of the other components, but that's about analyzing um, or identifying problems and being able to analyze them and reflect and make ethical decisions for your life. So uh, is social emotional learning, I know you, you threw out a, uh, a term a little while ago. Is is it also, when I hear the term Maslow before Bloom, yeah. is that a lot of what it's referring to? Absolutely. And so it has a lot of grounding in psychology, but it also has a lot of foundations in neuroscience as well, because when you think about some fundamental pieces that need to be in line before you can hit, like with Maslow, it was the um, physiological needs before you got to self-actualization. Um, the same thing happens in your brain as well. So Dr. Um, I think his name was Paul McLean in the 1950s, found that you have a triune brain. So at the lower base of your neck or at the lower base of your head is what's called your reptilian brain. And so that's responsible for your flight, flight, your flight, your freezing. Um, if you're hot, if you're cold, if you're hungry, if you have to go to the bathroom. And then over top of that is your limbic system, uh, your amygdala, where your, your idea of um, do I belong? Do I feel welcome? Do I feel valued? And then over top of that is your neocortex, which is all of your higher level thinking, your decision making, your critical thinking, creative thinking, and speech. And so if just like Maslow's hierarchy there, if your brain is firing in the reptilian system or your limbic system, um, you're not getting much activity up in your neocortex. And so we really do need to, to work with our students' social and emotional needs before we can help them achieve at their highest academic levels. 
Now, in terms of history, because you mentioned something about uh, a historical fact that you threw out, social emotional learning, is it something that we got away from? It took a backseat to standardized assessments and other accountability measures that schools needed to now uh, abide by and live up to that were coming back around to it. Is this a, a, a newer concept? Can you just enlighten us a little bit on, on that historical aspect of it? That's a fantastic question. Um, social emotional learning has been around since the time of the Greek philosophers and Aristotle and Plato, but they called it different things. So it's been around for thousands of years, but lately it's been referred to as values clarification or character education. Um, And over time, it's kind of morphed, which has made it really difficult for people to understand what it is because there were so many different definitions of of it, of that term. And so I think that it's always been there, but I agree with you that depending upon what's been happening in society, uh, like the socio-political pieces, Um, we have more or less emphasis on it. And I do agree with what you said earlier, what you were kind of leading to that um, as accountability increased for us needing to measure up to other countries, we started placing this huge emphasis on state testing and national testing to the extent that we started leaving out the social emotional aspects of it because we were so focused on pushing content down to students that we, we lost sight of the fact that all teaching is social and emotional, and all learning is social and emotional. And so we need to actually work from the bottom up. The Leader of Learning podcast is a proud member of the Education Podcast Network. The Education Podcast Network, podcasts for educators, podcasts by educators. For more great podcasts, visit edupodcastnetwork.com. The Leader of Learning podcast is also a proud member of Voice Ed Radio, changing the way you talk about education. To listen to more great education content, please visit voiceed.ca. If teachers, administrators, schools, and school districts feel like maybe they've gotten too far away, and like you said, they've kind of held instruction down, or I'm sorry, held social emotional learning down while really driving instruction to meet those accountability measures, then what? What's what's the next step? What what needs to happen to bring back this aspect of social emotional learning and making sure that we're supporting our students in that way versus just driving instruction? Um, I think that one of the first things we need to really ask ourselves is truly what are we preparing our students for? I know that here in Pennsylvania, they often use the three C's. And so they say we want our students to be prepared for college, career, or citizenship. And while I appreciate that, I've been doing work within larger school districts in Georgia. And Georgia is using, we want our students to be ready to live, to learn, and to lead. And for me, that just really resonates with me so much stronger because it's not about having our students have all of this content knowledge, but it's, we want our students to love learning and as cliche as it sounds to be lifelong learners and to have that drive to be curious, to be creative, to be critical thinkers. Um, And we, but we also need to have them. You can have all the content knowledge in the world, but if you can't relate with people, if you can't talk with them or collaborate with them and be able to hear diverse perspectives and appreciate and value diversity, um, you're not going to go very far in today's society. Um, We can't, we're all connected and we can't do anything ever alone. And so I think we're really missing the boat if we're not thinking about, you know, how are we preparing our kids and what are we preparing them for? I would recommend that 
if the district has found that they're at a point where they need to kind of slow it down and realize that test scores in a given time period don't don't represent all the strengths that our students have. And I know of some school districts where their students are extremely high achieving, but when they're going off to college or going off into the workforce, um, they're not being successful because they're stressed out, they're anxious, they end up dropping out of college and coming back home to live with their parents. And, you know, the whole point of schooling is to prepare our students for life. And so just earning a high GPA isn't preparing them for life. Uh, we need to help them feel um, all those social emotional, we have to help them build all those social emotional learning capacities along with the academic side. That's awesome. There was there, there was such substance to that answer. I heard a few different things, uh, really great things about a preparing our students for not even just college and career readiness, but just life and leadership beyond uh, school, and also finding ways while they're in school to relate to them. I mean, I can't tell you. I'd be rich if I had a dollar for every time I heard or saw someone tweet about that. It all begins with relationships and. I agree with that. I'm not disagreeing, but um, it really, I think, go. that's like step one, and then it goes deeper. And so I guess my next question to you is, throughout your time in education, and especially as a consultant where you get to go in and work with schools on, on implementing and, and, and uh, supporting opportunities for social-emotional learning, what have been some of the things that you've seen that really work that schools are implementing and that they're doing to build this up and build it into their traditional in instructional curricula or instructional program in general? So I have a lot of thoughts going through my head and hopefully I'll be able to. I, I do too. <laughs> no, that, that's great. And like, for example, I mean, some of the things that I'm thinking, and you're more of an expert in this area than I am, but you know, I'm, Schools that I've been a part of have gone to uh, advisory programs, and, and that's worked pretty well. Genius Hour, you know, giving students opportunities to sort of connect their classroom instruction with life beyond the classroom. You know, a couple of examples like that that I'm thinking may may work. Would you agree or disagree? Oh, and then what are some that you know of? Oh, I agree with you completely. Um, one of the things that I found in my years of working with schools is that it re we really need to build capacity and an understanding of what social-emotional learning is and how it helps students. So as a former high school teacher, I can tell you that if I asked elementary and middle school, you know, teachers, what do you teach? They're going to tell me that they teach students. But most of the time when I asked high school teachers that, um, they told me their content area. And so I think that we need to relook at the philosophy of education and understand that our role is not teaching our content, but that we need to be student-centered and the students have to be at the center of everything. And I'll even be, go so bold as to say that I feel that if teachers say their content first and they say, well, I'm not here for those other pieces, then maybe they shouldn't be in K-12 education because our goal is to help prepare these students for the next level. And we know through brain development too that they're... Um, their prefrontal lobe is not fully developed. All those decision-making skills and the critical thinking aren't fully developed until they're in their 20s. So we really need to understand that we're still working with students who are growing and developing, and it's not about the content. Um, the other piece that I that I think about is that 
sometimes teachers come in and say, well, the, the kids should already know these social and emotional learning skills. And so it becomes a blame game. And I try to get teachers to think that the reason the kids are here, the students are here is because our role is to help them learn. And a good friend of mine, Basil Marin, and I listened to you interview with him, he and I have a favorite quote by Maya Angelou, that is when you know better, you do better. And so this idea that we're here to help support our students in their growth, not to punish them every time they're not achieving at the level we expect them to. And so we need to provide them with really specific experiential activities and opportunities to practice growth in those five competencies. Um, And so I think that having an understanding that SEL is a philosophy, that it's not a section of time in the school day, or it's not a specific program. And there are very good programs out there. I'm not trying to to discredit them, but a program isn't social-emotional learning. Um, SEL is who you are and what you do every day. And it's how you interact with people. It's the environment, the physical environment, the social environment. Um, it is, it's how you model for students, not just with them, but with other colleagues as well. And how honest you are in your own growth. And I think that's why it's difficult for teachers is because if we're going to be good at helping other people grow in social emotional learning, we have to really do a deep dive to ourselves about where our strengths are and our areas of growth. Um, but what I have found has worked well in a district is that there really needs to be either at the district level or the building level, a clear goal around what is SEL, what is our SEL vision? Um, and then what is our message so that everybody has the co- a common language and a shared understanding? And then how are we going to build capacity to help people understand that we need to make it explicit for the students. So these could be things that we're already doing in the classroom, like debriefing social interactions. So we have students working groups all the time. So your idea about, and I agree that having an advocacy period or morning meeting is a great place to start with SEL, but for it to be truly effective, it needs to be interwoven into all aspects and all contents of, of the day. Yeah, like really embedded into everything, um, starting with instruction, but not just ending there, just everything, right, as part of the school culture. Yes, and it, it becomes something that you live and breathe. And I know it sounds ridiculous, but I actually think about those five competencies on a daily basis for myself. And I assess how well did I do and where are some areas I need to do better and what are some areas that I'm like, okay, I did pretty good here. So I'm constantly assessing myself as well. I, I wanted to uh, shout out to our, our mutual friend, Basil, because uh, he has been a guest on the show before, another uh, fellow ASCD emerging leader. That guy really gets social emotional learning. And so I did want to just give him another shout out because uh, he's, he's doing some amazing things as uh, an administrator and just an all around educator who really taps into the social emotional learning with uh, the staff and the students that he works with. Let me let me ask you this question out of out of sheer curiosity. What's your take on the term soft skills? Oh. <laughs> um, I think that and actually my mentor just did a blog post on this. I think it's frustrating because there's nothing soft about those five competencies. It's deep, hard work trying to, when you, when you pull back layers and you're like, Ooh, I didn't do so well here, or I didn't manage my emotions really well. And I yelled at my child, for instance, because we're all, but we're all human. Right. And so we make mistakes, but it's what we do after that. Or as we have an aha moment and we say, Oh, wow, I could have handled that situation differently. Or this would have been another avenue to take to get to an even better goal. 
And that that's hard work. And, and it's very easy to place ownership and blame on other people. Well, you needed to do that instead of, I could have done this differently. And so I really, the more I think about it, I really don't like that term soft skills because I think it gives the wrong impression about how critical these skills are and that it's a struggle to grow in those skills and takes time and practice and a concerted effort. But you, you can grow in these skills. So that's also important. <laughs> Yeah, right. Um, I'm glad you added that piece in, but that's about how I thought you'd answer that question. <laughs> I was just curious. Um, all right. So we're going to start to wrap up here. This has been a, an amazing conversation, but I would be remiss if I did not ask you about and, and allow you the opportunity to expand on this amazing visual, this graphic that you've created about the link and the connection between social emotional learning and the whole child. And I know you've spoken a lot about it already throughout this interview, but specifically regarding that visual. And by the way, it's it's a stunning graphic. I really, I, we're going to talk off the air about how you created that and what you use, but just the graphic itself, I'm looking at it right now and it's it's a person that could be, you know, any student, let's say, and with some arrows that are pointing to like one side that's uh, referring to the whole child and some different bullet points about what that means. And then the other side about social emotional learning and what that means. How are they connected? And what does that visual represent? Yes. And um, just if people wanted to, the visual is up on my Twitter account. It's a pinned tweet that I put up there um, off of at Krista underscore lay. And it's also up on my website so people could download it. And that's um, www.resonanceed.com. Um, but I've thought a lot about how these two are intertwined because I've been working in social emotional learning for over 10 years. And as an ASCD emerging leader from 2012, that was the first thing that we heard about was the whole child. They were really just launching this um, idea and this philosophy. And they also talked about the whole child as as modeling Maslow's hierarchy. So um, how are we providing an environment where our students are healthy, safe, engaged, supported, and challenged? And they need to be healthy and safe before we can get to challenging them academically um, and socially and emotionally to grow. Um, and so the more I, I'm like, how are these two working together? And I've had some friends and colleagues say that they're synonymous. And I respectfully disagree with that. Um, as I continue thinking. And I think that when we say that we're educating the whole child, that puts the onus or the ownership on us as the educators. It's what are we doing to provide an environment through policy and practice that helps students become healthy and feel safe and become more engaged and feel supported? And then how do we challenge them to take that next step, like Vygotsky's zone of proximal development? When I think about social emotional learning, that's an inside out job. Um, we can provide opportunities for students to grow in each of those five competencies, but they need, the ownership is on them to reflect, to make better decisions, and when they know better, to do better. So we can't force somebody to grow socially and emotionally, but I feel that we can educate the whole child and provide an environment for them that will allow them to flourish and build those skills um, maybe more efficiently or at a faster rate or at a deeper level. Yeah. First of all, I want to mention a couple things here. Uh, first, that that graphic will definitely be in the show notes for this episode. So listeners, leaderoflearning.com slash episode 42. Um, Krista gave you her website and Twitter account, but she'll give that information again in a minute. Uh, Krista, what I wanted to mention to you is actually, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, in New York State, uh, fairly recently, 
the state has started to recognize schools and school districts who are approaching uh, this idea of educating the whole child in the sense that their accountability measures are now better aligned with educating the whole child. And so instead of just looking at state test scores or four-year graduation rates, they're now looking at five- and six-year graduation rates. They're looking at attendance. They're looking at different avenues that schools have taken to support everything outside of just test scores. And so most of the schools in the district that I just started at as an administrator about four, four and a half months ago now, uh, most of the schools, with the exception right now of our two high schools, have gotten out of uh, what what used to be a more negative uh, standing to the point where we're now in good standing with the state of New York because of the way that we've approached that. And so little shout out to my school and my district for doing great things. But just so you know, in terms of social emotional learning and especially that aspect of the whole child, people are starting to really come around. And, and at this point, even the whole state of New York is. So I'm really proud of that. If I could, if I could, can I build off of that and just add yeah, yeah, sure. Finishing up here. One of the things that I found over the last couple of years in working with school districts is that it really is hard to measure a student's social and emotional learning growth. And if you look at the research and publications all across the country, um, we have major universities coming together to try to do this. And it's difficult. Um, it can't, it's not something that's easily, easily quantifiable. Um, and what has led what I've been finding in my work is that districts have been purchasing programs or kind of doing a whole lot of different things, hoping it's working. And so uh, a colleague and a very good friend of mine, uh, Dr. Linda Megger, has also, we've created what we call an SEL implementation audit. So we're not looking at outcomes, but we're looking at what is the district done in terms of inputs to um, help increase students' social and emotional learning growth. And so we've looked at things like, is it, do you have a comprehensive vision? Is it, are all of your um, systems aligned to that vision? And what we're finding is that many districts have a lot of different programs that aren't necessarily aligned, but they're not keeping track of how it's being implemented or if it's being evaluated to see if it's even working. Um, and so I would say, too, instead of just looking at the outcomes, look at the inputs and really make sure that those are tightly aligned and comprehensive and find out what's working within your district so that you could figure out a way of replicating that in um, other schools or find out what are your areas that you could that you need to grow in. Because we've also also found that many of the schools focus a lot on self-management and responsible decision making and then into relationship skills with anti-bullying. But there's not a whole lot around self-awareness and social awareness. Because in the school districts, we're looking oftentimes for, and I hate to say it like this, but compliance, because we're looking at management so that we can teach to the students. Um, and so we're missing a critical component where we're getting maybe compliant students without understanding the intrinsic value of why we're asking them to do what they're doing. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. It, it certainly sounds like clearly uh, there's more work to be done in this area. But I'd like to think that uh, people are starting to become more aware of it. And like you said, really driving the vision and mission of schools and districts to the point where it's really 
not only inclusive of whole child and social emotional learning, but that it's um, dedicated to making sure that as we spoke a little a little while ago, that it's really embedded in all aspects of what's happening in schools. Um, I want to thank you for for coming on, giving us this time. I think this is an amazing discussion, uh, very timely and very important. One more time, if people want to find out more about you or any of the work that you're doing or anything related to this topic of social emotional learning, where do they go? Um, you can go to my website. It's Resonance ed.com as in what resonates with you. Um, and then my Twitter handle is at Krista, K-R-I-S-T-A underscore lay L-E-H. Um, you can also email me through the website. I'm happy to collaborate, to work with people. And I have some free SEL resources that are up there that hopefully people will find valuable. So feel free to download them and use them. Amazing. Really, really great topic. Great discussion. I thank you so much for your time, Krista. Thank you. Thank you so thank much. You. It's been a pleasure. Take care. Well, that's a wrap on this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you haven't done so yet, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on your favorite way to listen. Also, if you like what you heard, please recommend this podcast to other educators, leaders, friends, or anyone you think would love listening and learning. And don't hesitate to leave a positive review on iTunes or whatever service you use to listen. For more information, head over to leaderoflearning.com. There you can also find the Leader of Learning blog, Ways to connect on social media such as Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and Voxer. Sign up for our newsletter and even how to purchase Leader of Learning merchandise. Thanks again. And remember, no matter who you are or where you are, you too can be a leader of learning.